Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Catherine Spacito, who went by Kathy, grew up in Brooklyn, New York. At the age of 23, she was a student at Prescott College in Prescott, Arizona, and was said to love the outdoors. On June 12, 1987, Kathy met up with friends for dinner. It was there, she told them, her plans to go hiking the next morning. However, they had no idea this would be the last time they would ever see her alive. The next morning, on June 13, Kathy, wanting to make the most of the beautiful day, got up early and rode her mountain bike to the head of the Thumb Butte Trail, just west of Prescott. She planned to leave her bike there and hike the popular 2.5-mile circular route, taking her into the towering pine forest and up to the glorious views of the surrounding mountains. However, not long after this, another group of hikers heard blood-curdling screams coming from further down the trail. They began racing toward the screams, but it took a good 20 minutes due to the rough terrain. When they finally reached Kathy, she was already dead, and her murderer was nowhere to be found. Kathy had been bludgeoned with a ratchet and a rock, stabbed, and then shot to death with a 22 caliber gun. With little to no leads, the case would go unsolved for the next 36 years. In 2017, with the improvement of DNA testing, Kathy's murder was linked to the April 1990 attack of a second victim in the same location by the same attacker. The victim was camping with her boyfriend and went for a hike on the Thumb Butte Trail. Within minutes, someone snuck up behind her and bludgeoned her in the head with a rock. After the attack, the suspect ran off into the woods. In August 2023, with the use of genetic genealogy, the suspect was identified as Brian Scott Bennett. Not long after his second attack in July of 1990, he was arrested for attempting to sexually assault a third woman at a house party in Chino Valley, Arizona. Bennett followed the victim into her room and attempted to sexually assault her. Thankfully, witnesses were able to break down the door and Bennett fled the scene. Unfortunately, he was acquitted of all charges due to discrepancies in the case. In June 1993, he attacked a fourth victim at a Prescott post office. The victim had just left the post office when Bennett forced her by knife point to her car and kidnapped her. Eventually, a police officer would pull the car over after Bennett failed to dim the headlights. This allowed the victim to escape, but not before Bennett had sexually assaulted her. He was arrested, but once again acquitted due to lack of evidence and discrepancies in the case. That same year, he was arrested for forgery and served time in prison before escaping and becoming a fugitive. At the time of Kathy's murder, Bennett was a 16-year-old high school student at Prescott High School. 
1988, he withdrew from school and briefly joined the Army before going AWOL in 1989. On January 27, 1994, Bennett returned to his home state of Kentucky and took his own life. Officials say his body was recently exhumed, his DNA was tested, and it matched the DNA found on Kathy's body and his second victim. Deputies believe there might be more victims out there and are encouraging them to come forward. Christine Frank was born in West Islip, New York, on August 13, 1976. At some point, her family moved to Vero Beach, Florida, where she would attend Vero Beach High School. After graduating, she enrolled at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida, where she majored in education. By her senior year, 25-year-old Christine was living at the Colonial Garden Apartments at 3056 Plaza Terrace Drive and was working at the now-closed Cigars Bar at Universal Orlando CityWalk. On October 21, 2001, neighbors found Christine's partially nude body. She had been shot to death inside her apartment. Investigators were able to collect male DNA from her body, and this would be used years later to solve the case. On the day of the murder, Christine had earned approximately $300 in tip money at the Cigars Bar, and that money was missing from her apartment. So investigators realized quickly that this was most likely a robbery gone wrong. Around 100 different people were interviewed, and their DNA was collected, including co-workers, neighbors, and other potential persons of interest, but none matched any samples in the CODIS database. In 2013, a new detective by the name of Michael Fields was assigned to the cold case. In 2018, Detective Fields enlisted the help of Parabon Nanolabs. After running the DNA from the crime scene through GEDmatch, genealogists were able to locate relatives of the suspect living in Georgia. From there, a family tree was constructed and consisted of nearly 100 descendants of the suspect's great-grandparents. Detective Fields then traveled to Georgia to take DNA samples from relatives of the potential suspect, including his mother. From that, they were able to determine that the suspect was likely one of her two sons. The first son, Reginald, was ruled out after investigators collected his DNA from a Gatorade bottle he discarded. The only son left was Benjamin Lee Holmes Jr., who was working as a manager at a Wendy's restaurant. After investigators began surveilling him, they were able to obtain his DNA from discarded cigars he left outside a friend's home. After the DNA found on the tip of the cigar matched the DNA found on Christine's body, Detective Fields obtained a search warrant to collect a swab of DNA directly from Holmes' mouth. That DNA sample directly linked Holmes to Christine's murder. Christine's mom, Tina Frank, and many of her family members were with law enforcement when they announced Holmes' arrest in November 2018. Holmes was charged with first-degree murder, but it would be five years before his trial would take place. During the trial, the defense claimed that someone staged the crime scene to frame Holmes. However, they could never explain how someone even obtained his bodily fluids to plant at the scene. On March 23, 2023, after hearing his ridiculous defense, the jury found him guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole.
Eliza Silva Samudio was born on February 22, 1985, in Foz do Iguaçu, in Brazil. At the age of 18, Eliza moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil, to pursue her dream of becoming a model. However, in order for her to survive, she got involved in the adult film industry. In 2009, at the age of 24, she began dating Bruno Fernandez de Souza, a widely known soccer player who served as Flamingo's goalkeeper and captain. Eliza became pregnant with Bruno's baby, and he wanted her to have an abortion, but she refused. Abortion is illegal in Brazil, with the exception of birth defects, risk to a woman's life, or sexual assault. On October 13, 2009, Eliza told authorities in Rio that Bruno and his associates had abducted her and forced her to take medicine to abort the pregnancy. She informed the police that Bruno had put a pistol to her head and that he and the other guys had beaten her. Bruno accused Eliza of lying about the attack, claiming that it was not the first time she had lied in order to destroy his life because he wouldn't give her the fame she desired. However, the medicine didn't work, and in February 2010, baby Brunenho was born, but Bruno wouldn't acknowledge he was the father and refused to pay child support. He also allegedly threatened Eliza if she didn't stop talking to the press about it. Eliza then filed a paternity and child support suit against Bruno, who was married with two children. All the while, an investigation into her claims that Bruno attacked her was still ongoing. Nine months later, when the investigation was finally over, they would find evidence that the attack did occur. However, before the investigation was complete, on June 4, 2010, Eliza had agreed to meet Bruno at a hotel suite he had been renting since May 11th. He had agreed to pay her all the money in advance and wanted to discuss the paternity claims with her. However, the money was allegedly at his property in Belo Horizonte, 220 miles from the hotel. So Bruno's 17-year-old cousin, Jorge Sales, and lifelong friend, Luis Romeo, were sent to the hotel to pick up Eliza and four-month-old baby Brunenho. His cousin Jorge had been under Bruno's protection ever since he got in trouble with local drug traffickers. They then drove her to the property in Belo Horizonte that Bruno and his wife used as a weekend retreat. Upon arrival, Eliza was assaulted by the two guys. Bruno wasn't even there at the time and was at his soccer game instead. He then showed up later that evening. She was then held captive for six days before being turned over to former military policeman Marcos Aparecido, who tortured her before strangling her to death in front of baby Brunenho. Parts of her were then fed to his dogs, while other parts were turned into ash and mixed with cement and concrete at a construction site. All the details came from Bruno's cousin Jorge, who added more and more detail throughout 20 different interrogations. When the search for Eliza began, Bruno's friends, family, and even his ex-wife tried to hide the baby from the police. Police later found baby Brunenho in a Belo Horizonte slum, allegedly abandoned by Bruno's wife, Diane. DNA tests later proved the baby was Bruno's and was given to Eliza's grieving mother to care for him. On July 7, 2010, Bruno surrendered to authorities in Rio. At that point, there was sufficient evidence for detectives to link him to the crime. Bruno's soccer team then canceled his contract and had their attorneys cut off communication with him. 
Bruno would then allegedly try and take his own life twice while in jail. During the trial, Bruno put all the blame on his friend Louise. While he admitted to knowing about the crime and lying to police, he said he had no involvement in her murder. It wasn't until Jorge testified that Bruno finally admitted to planning the whole thing. He was found guilty of assaulting, torturing, and killing Eliza and sentenced to 22 years in prison. Louise received a 15-year sentence and has been in an open jail since 2018. Open jails are basically minimal security and give inmates the ability to move around the facility. As for ex-cop Marcos Aparecido, he received 36 years in prison, 22 for murdering Eliza, and 14 for an earlier crime. Bruno's lawyers asked for his temporary release in February 2017 after serving only six years and seven months of his sentence, citing an appeal request that took an extra long time to process. The request was approved and Bruno was given bail. Within hours after his release, Bruno was contacted by multiple soccer clubs and ultimately signed a two-year deal with BOA Sports. The decision sparked outrage in Brazil, and one of the club's biggest sponsors discontinued its relationship with them. Protesters gathered outside the stadium, claiming the team supported the widespread violence against women in Brazil. Bruno said in a rare interview that he had made a mistake, but that everyone does. He said he wasn't a horrible man and wanted to keep working. Bruno participated in five games until the Attorney General successfully petitioned for his freedom to be revoked, citing the delay in his appeal as partially the fault of the defense's legal counsel. Bruno was moved to a semi-open prison in July 2019. In a semi-open prison regime, prisoners are allowed to work outside the prison during the day, but they must return to the prison each night. After that, he was placed on house arrest. Since his partial release, several teams have shown interest in signing him, but pressure from fans and sponsors has kept him from returning. Eliza's mother, Sonia, is the appointed guardian of baby Bruninho. She explained that when he hears from his father, the boy experiences panic episodes. Despite all this, Bruno is determined to repair his relationship with his son. In an interview with the media, he said he wanted to talk to his son about everything and ask for forgiveness. In 2021, Bruno and his business partners wanted to build a cafe in Rio de Janeiro where he intended to offer Akai palm items at his store once it opened, but the pandemic halted the project. Recently, in 2023, Bruno was signed on to play with Orion Football Club, Orion is the seventh team to have signed Bruno since 2017. To this day, the remains of Eliza have never been recovered, and Sonia continues to fear that Bruno might be plotting to kill both her and her grandson. Lloyd Joseph Perkins Jr. was born in California on March 14, 1973. In 1995, at the age of 22, Lloyd, who was living in Seaside, California, had rekindled his relationship with his baby's mother. Before the relationship started back up again, she was dating a man named Anthony Martez Randall. Randall was jealous and violent, and one day, he entered his ex-girlfriend's house, attacked her, and tried to rob Lloyd at gunpoint. 
A week later, on September 21, 1995, Randall got into an argument with his ex over the phone. Afterward, he traveled to an apartment in the 1100 block of Amador Avenue, where she and Lloyd were visiting friends. Unbeknownst to them, Randall disabled the couple's car and waited for Lloyd to leave the house. As Lloyd left around 11.30 p.m., Randall ambushed, robbed, and shot him. He was rushed to community hospital, but sadly pronounced dead shortly after arriving. However, unaware that Randall was the shooter, the case would go unsolved for the next 27 years. Finally, in 2021, the Seaside Police reopened the case and found three new witnesses who agreed to testify that Randall admitted to the murder. Ultimately, he was found guilty of first-degree murder, and due to the three-strikes law, he was given 50 years to life in prison, plus an additional nine years. Natalie Connolly was born in 1990 and had a twin sister named Gemma Andrews. By the age of 26, Natalie was working as a receptionist and was the mother to a 10-year-old daughter. In the summer of 2016, Natalie met millionaire John Broadhurst at the Wagon and Horses Pub in Budley, England. However, John was engaged to another woman at the time and kept his relationship going even after he and Natalie began their secret affair. Once the affair was in full swing, she would travel to Manchester and sometimes Scotland under the guise that she was his personal assistant. After the affair had been going on for a while, John finally broke it off with his fiancée, who was eight months pregnant with their second child. Natalie and John then moved into his $750,000 home in Kenver, England. He then gave her around $250 a week for living expenses and bought her a brand new BMW. At some point, Natalie confessed to her sister Gemma that John was an amazing lover but enjoyed it rough. She then showed the belt marks on her butt and the grab marks on her arm. The bruises were so bad that Natalie couldn't even sit down during a visit to her mother's in 2016. John would even brag to friends about his sex life with Natalie, saying she enjoyed being beaten and choked. However, Natalie was no stranger to this and had previously been involved with another man who also enjoyed rough sex, but not to this extent. Even so, she claimed to enjoy it and would willingly participate in John's extreme sex games. Unfortunately, the couple also drank excessively and dabbled with expensive drugs. Gemma said her sister would drink as many as 10 pints of cider during a night out and not even appear intoxicated. Those who knew John said he was the happiest he'd been in years. However, all that would change in December of 2016. Natalie, John, and her daughter had plans to spend Christmas in Dubai and were scheduled to fly out on December 19th. On December 17, 2016, Natalie and John were invited to the executive box of the West Bromwich Albion Football Club. Witnesses would say that the couple was very touchy-feely and were acting like teenagers in love. This was strange considering the fact that Natalie had been communicating via Snapchat with two ex-boyfriends and had even arranged to meet a man in Dubai that she met online. She had even sent him topless photos. After leaving the football game, the couple joined friends at Hansworth Curry House, where they ate appetizers before heading home. 
Once home, they continued drinking and began indulging in high levels of expensive drugs while playing their extreme sex games. However, this time, John would go too far after discovering the topless photo that Natalie sent to a man in Dubai. By the next morning, Natalie was dead. At 9.30 a.m., 41-year-old John called emergency services and told them that his girlfriend was, and I quote, dead as a donut. He claimed that she died during a consensual rough sex session fueled by alcohol and drugs and found her the next morning at the bottom of the stairs. An autopsy would find that Natalie suffered 40 injuries to her face and body, including lacerations to her vagina. This was the result of a bottle of carpet cleaner being used on her. Other injuries were from John beating her with his hand in a suede boot. She was also found to have an alcohol level of more than five times the drink and drive limit. When questioned, he admitted that he had gone to bed and left her unsupervised even though she had sustained serious injuries and was bleeding. The paramedics at the scene said that John definitely appeared hungover and was not very upset about Natalie's death. He was then arrested for her murder. He stuck with his story that she died after a consensual rough sexual encounter, but prosecutors weren't buying it. They believed that after John found the topless photos, he lost it and killed her in a rage before spraying her face with bleach to clean off the blood. However, since they couldn't prove this, they gave John a plea deal, which he accepted. In the end, John pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to only 44 months in prison. The rough sex defense has since been banned in courtrooms. It's also of note that since the release of Fifty Shades of Grey, the number of accused men who were using that as a defense had increased tenfold. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.